Okay. Well, please open with me in God's Word to Revelation chapter 14. Revelation 14 this morning. Uh, we'll be looking at verses 14 to 20 together as we continue this series through the book of Revelation. While you're turning there, I wonder how much you know about farming. I don't know if any of you grew up on a farm or have been around farms, uh, but I was raised in the city, and so most of what I know about farming has come through TV documentaries and hearing what others have done. But, of course, it doesn't take long uh, of us leaving the city that we live in to find cornfields and soybean fields and wheat fields. So we're certainly around a lot of farms today. But after a farmer seeks to have a crop by sowing seeds in the fields, uh, these seeds will hopefully sprout up from the ground and then continue to grow until their heads are full of grain and the crop is then ready to be harvested. And it's when that time comes that I'll generally see these large combines that go through the fields as they reap the crop and prepare it for food or for other use. Of course, a lot has changed in farming through the centuries, with tractors and technology used across massive land. But farming itself was a common way of life in the ancient world, which is why farming is so often used in Scripture as a metaphor to describe spiritual truths. And this includes Jesus himself, as he taught his disciples through the parables. How many of his parables? involves farming in some ways. So before we return to Revelation 14 this morning, I want us to first listen to Jesus's parable of the wheat and the tares or the weeds, which is found in Matthew 13. So listen here as Jesus speaks this parable or he teaches this parable through this parable to his disciples here in Matthew 13. We read there, another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servant of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? He said to them, An enemy has done this. The servant said to him, Do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, No, lest while you gather up the tares, you also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, First gather together the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. But gather the wheat in my barn. And of course, you've spent much time in the Gospels, you know that the disciples of Jesus were not uh, quick to understand what Jesus taught through the parables, and the same was true here of this parable. So later in Matthew 13, we read the disciples asking Jesus what he meant by this parable. And so we uh, read, continuing then in verse 36, then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. So listen to how 
Jesus explains this parable. Verses 37 to 43, He answered and said to them, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of the wicked one. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Brothers and sisters, do you understand and recognize how Jesus then explains this age that we're living in? That Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, is sowing good seed through his gospel in the world as it is preached and proclaimed and souls are converted with many being brought into God's kingdom. But Satan, the wicked one, is also sowing. So there are those who follow him in their rebellion against God in sin. So either here seen as tares or weeds. And while in this age there are both this this, this wheat and these tares growing together. Jesus says that the time of harvest is coming when the wheat and the tares will be reaped. And what Jesus said then would happen at the end of the age is what John now sees happening in the book of Revelation. So let us then read and hear with this parable of Jesus in mind. As the Apostle John records for us here, Revelation 14, verses 14 to 20. John says, Then I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and on the cloud sat one like the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him who sat on the crowd, Thrust in your sickle and reap, for the time has come for you to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. So he who sat on the cloud thrust in his sickle on the earth, and the earth was reaped. Then another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven, he also having a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar who had power over fire, and he cried with a loud cry to him who had the the sharp sickle, saying, Thrust in your sharp sickle and gather the clusters of the vine of the earth, for her grapes are fully ripe. So the angel thrust his sickle into the earth and gathered the vine of the earth and threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trampled outside the city, And blood came out of the winepress up to the horse's bridles for 1,600 furlongs. Well, and sisters, before we continue, let us again return to the throne of our God in prayer. Let us pray. 
Well, Father, we pray that we will not remain confused over the teachings of Jesus, but that we will understand and recognize the truths that he originally taught his disciples and now has revealed to us through his apostle of the great harvest that will take place at the end of this age. Father, may we then live in light of this coming judgment as those who are anticipating what awaits us. And through this, Lord, may we find the grace of Your Son and Your glory that is manifested in what will take place at the end of this age. So, Father, be with us. We pray that You will so be at work that as Your Word is spoke, Your Spirit will empower these truths to have their effect in our lives. So, Father, I pray that you will take me simply as a weak and humble vessel through which you speak to your people so that sinners will be saved and saints will be sanctified by your grace. So, Father, we pray then for all these things in the name of our sweet Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, what do we learn from this coming harvest at the end of the age? It's that Christ will purify God's kingdom when his judgment comes. There is a purification that will take place in this world when Christ returns and establishes God's kingdom when his judgment comes. We see this first through this harvest in the reaping of righteous saints, which is recorded for us in verses 14 to 16. But then we see this secondly in the reaping of unrighteous sinners, which is then recorded for us in verses 17 to 20. So let's begin then with the reaping of righteous saints which we read in verses 14 to 16. And as we have seen through the book of Revelation, the Apostle John has been recording these symbolic visions of prophecy from God in this book to encourage Christ's churches as we struggle and suffer in this present evil age. And while this entire church age is one of great tribulation, the time is coming when the Antichrist will rise together with the false prophet to make war with the saints and overcome them. Now we know that Christ has already defeated Satan through his incarnation when he died on the cross to pay for the sins of, 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 of his people and then reconciles us to God and is then raised from the dead to ascend to heaven where he now rules over his kingdom until his return, when he will complete this victory over Satan. But that leaves us then as his church in the midst of a spiritual war 
that continues through this age. Satan has been cast out of heaven, which enrages him. So he makes war with the church during this age. Which is why John reveals there's a time coming when the dragon Satan will then send these two beasts to deceive the world and intensify his persecution against Christ's church. And together they make up the unholy trinity, Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. You see then that in the midst of this satanic oppression and opposition, John addresses what hope Christ's church has. So at the beginning of this chapter, John sees Christ as a lamb standing on Mount Zion with 144,000 who represent his church that is sealed with his father's name standing with him. And this reveals that Christ will triumph over the powers of this world and that all of God's elect who have been redeemed by Christ's blood will stand triumphantly with him. Which then brings us in the chapter to three angels who come and cry out with a loud voice to warn of God's coming judgment as the chapter continues. So we have the first angel, which brings Christ's everlasting gospel until God's judgment comes. Offering repentance to all those who remain in their sin. Then there's a second angel that comes and announces that Babylon has fallen, this great city that symbolizes humanity's stubborn refusal to submit to God and in their sin as well as their final effort then to oppose and oppress Christ's church through their power. Which then leads to a third angel coming and condemning all of those who follow and worship the Antichrist and bear his mark as as they will be condemned and tormented under God's wrath in hell forever. So now that we reach the end of this chapter, John sees how God's judgment will then separate Christ's church from the wicked world through this reaping of both grain and grapes. So John begins here, in these verses by seeing a white cloud with one like the Son of Man sitting on it. And while there is some debate here, I do believe that this one who's like the Son of Man is a reference to Christ himself. Listen again to how Daniel, in his vision of the four beasts, describes the coming of Christ in his kingdom in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 to 14. There he records, I was watching in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He came to the Ancient of Days, and there brought him, and they brought him near before him. Then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom the one which shall not be destroyed. So here is this one like the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, who's sitting on a white crowd, 
cloud, which is his heavenly throne of victory over the nations of this world. But John also sees Christ with two things, right? There's a golden crown on his head, and there's a sharp sickle in his hand. Well, a golden crown, as we see them through Revelation, symbolizes the authority of rulers. Which is why we've already seen golden crowns on the 24 elders as they sit on their heavenly thrones. And we've also seen golden crowns on the demonic locusts who are released from the pit of hell onto the earth. But here, John sees Christ himself as the king who is ruling over his kingdom, which is now finally coming to the earth. But then John also sees a sharp sickle in his hand. And a sickle is a farming tool. It has a curved blade at the end of it, which is used then to cut grain at the harvest. But here the sickle symbolizes God's judgment to come. This means then that there must be a reaping that takes place before Christ's kingdom is fully established. Which is why Jesus also speaks of this harvest in another parable. The parable of the growing seed in Mark chapter 4, verses 26 to 29. So let's listen to this parable from Jesus. Again, Mark 4. Read, and he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground, and should sleep by night and rise by day, and the seed should sprout and grow. He himself does not know how. For the earth yields crops by itself, first the blade, then the head, and after that the full grain in the head. But when the grain ripens, immediately he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Do you see then how the kingdom of God is described by Jesus? As this growing of grain. And when will the harvest happen? When the grain has ripened. At that time, he puts in his sickle. You know how most of us know about a sickle? with the Grim Reaper. Remember pictures of the Grim Reaper? What is the Grim Reaper doing? Reaping. He's usually seen as a skeleton who wears a hooded robe and carries a sickle to reap the souls of those who die. But to quote the Blue Oyster Cult, and I don't do that often, Christ here says to his church, don't fear the reaper. Why? Because John shows us who at the end of the age this reaper will be. And he's Jesus Christ. So it's through this age that the preaching of the gospel will ripen the grain of Christ's church and bring many souls into the harvest until the time of harvest comes. But then in Revelation 14, we read of another angel that comes out from the temple of heaven where God sits on his throne. And this angel cries out a loud command from God to him who is sitting on the cloud. 
And the angel says, thrust in your sickle and reap. Why? Because the time has come. The earth's harvest is ripe. I'm thankful for George Eldon Land as he reflects on these words. He writes, these words convey the idea that contrary to human appearances, history is moving under the sovereignty of God. History and human affairs are not ruled by a blind, meaningless fate which goes nowhere. God is watching over history, and the hour will come in his divine wisdom when mankind is ripe for judgment. History will not get out of control. In God's hour, the issues will be settled. So here we see how all of human history is being carried out according to God's plan of redemption. And that no matter how difficult things may become in this world, we are moving ever closer to this day when God's plan of redemption will be complete and his harvest will be fully ripe. Which means that at the end of this age, brothers and sisters, there is a bountiful harvest for Christ to gather together. Because all of God's chosen people will be saved. And the time will come for them to enter into their eternal home. Which then reminds me of what Jesus tells his disciples until this day comes. Remember his words in Matthew 9, verses 37 to 38? Then Jesus said to his disciples, the harvest is what? The harvest is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest will send out laborers into his harvest. This is what his church is called to do in this age. To send out laborers into the harvest. So that the harvest truly be plentiful as it is filled with souls that are saved by God's grace. See, this is our time of sowing as we preach the gospel for souls to be saved. But this sowing will one day be complete when God's harvest will be full and Christ will gather his church through reaping us. That's why we then read that the one sitting on the cloud follows this angelic command from heaven and carries out his order. He thrusts in his sickle and reaps the earth. But don't miss what's absent from this reaping. There's no winnowing here. There's no trampling here. There's no burning here. But we are collected as the good grain, which is kept and brought into God's presence. Do you see then that when God's judgment comes, those who are in Christ have nothing to fear because we will be gathered as citizens of his kingdom, sons of his kingdom, to enjoy eternal life with him in the age to come. But listen, until then, We have a privilege and a responsibility to sow this gospel seed of salvation in Jesus Christ to our neighbors and to the nations. 
may we then consistently and compassionately invite them to receive Christ's grace and to join with us as we wait for this glorious reaping to come by Christ. But brothers and sisters, this is not the only reaping that we read of in these verses, is it? So this brings us to verses 17 to 20, where we read of the reaping of unrighteous sinners, because there's another reaping that will take place. So John records that another angel comes out of the temple in heaven with a sharp sickle. And unlike Christ, who will come for his people, here there's an angel sent from God's heavenly temple to gather the sinners on earth for his judgment of condemnation. This builds then on the prophetic warning of judgment that we find through the Old Testament, especially Joel chapter 3, verse 13. Listen to how this prophet Joel speaks of his judgment. Joel writes, Put in the sickle, for the harvest is ripe. Come, go down, for the winepress is full. The vats overflow, for their wickedness is great. exactly what we see here at the end of the age. Which is why another angel comes out. This time, we read that he comes out from the altar in verse 18. Do you remember where this altar is? The altar is there in the temple of heaven where martyrs who have been killed for their faith in Christ, have been praying to God for justice. When the fifth seal was opened back in Revelation 6, verses 9 to 11. But here we see that this angel has power over fire, which reveals, of course, the torment of God's judgment, as we've already seen earlier in this chapter. But this angel, who has power over the fire, listen, we've seen him before. We've seen him before in chapter 8, when the seventh seal was opened. Because this angel had a golden censer with much incense, where he then offered these prayers of the saints upon the golden altar, the prayers of the martyrs crying out for justice, were offered in this heavenly temple by this angel, in chapter 8, verses 1 to 5. So there we read that after the offering of these prayers, this angel takes his censer and he fills it with fire from the altar and then throws it to the earth, which then brings the seven trumpets of God's judgment upon the world. So now this angel comes and he commands the angel with a sharp sickle to thrust it in. So then finally answer the prayers of the saints by bringing vengeance upon those who have opposed and oppressed them. But notice what he is gathering with his sickle. It's not grain, right? What is it? Grapes. Grapes, which the Old Testament prophets often used in the harvesting of grapes to symbolize God's judgment. 
For example, you can listen to how the prophet Isaiah speaks of God's judgment. Isaiah 63, verses 2 to 4. Listen to these words. Isaiah says, Why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone, and from the peoples no one was with me. For I have trodden them in my anger and trampled them in my fury. Their blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes. For the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. And again, this is what will happen at the end of this age. That's why Jesus then teaches his disciples in John chapter 15, verses 5 and 6. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. So here in Revelation, John watches as this angel obeys and thrusts his sickle into the earth to gather these grapevine, this grapevine of the earth. And what does he do with the grapevine? But he throws it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. Now in verse 10, John had already recorded the angelic warning of those who worship the beast in his image, that they would, uh, and, and those who receive his mark, that they would also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. But now John actually sees this taking place before him as this reaping is carried out. Do you see then that all those who remain unrepentant of their sin will be gathered together at the end of this age to be judged by God and tormented under his wrath. For all, this is where the famous title of that classic work, The Grapes of Wrath, comes from. But as we consider an ancient wine press, it was made up of two vats. The, the first vat is where people would then trample the grapes with their feet and crush them so that the grapes would then release the juice that would then flow into the second vat where be, would be wine for them to drink. You see then that it was through the trampling of grapes that wine was produced to enjoy by those who would drink it. And here, it is through the great wine press of God's wrath that Christ's persecuted church will enjoy the coming of his justice on earth when our vindication will take place after all of our struggles and suffering in this world. So the trampling of the grapes of wrath that takes place, let's not miss that it also takes place and will happen outside of the city. And the city in chapter 11, verse 8, is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt, where our Lord was crucified. So this city then, of course, is Jerusalem, 
which was the capital city of God's people in the promised land of Israel, but had become spiritually no different than Sodom or Egypt. Which is why it becomes the city, the capital city of the coming Antichrist. But notice that as Christ was crucified outside the city gate, so too Christ's enemies will also come under God's wrath outside of the city, which Christ will reign over, which is the new Jerusalem. This is why then John records at the end of Revelation in chapter 22, verses 14 to 15, Blessed are those who do His commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. Because it's this city will become the eternal home of Christ's church. And we are those who can enter in through its gates, while the rest remain outside of the city under God's wrath. And when God's wrath comes, look at how much blood is poured out of the winepress when God's judgment finally arrives. It's here pictured as a mass slaughter of a final battle where the blood of those under God's wrath comes up to the horse's bridles. And this blood extends for 1,600 furlongs, which would be about 184 miles. But like the other numbers in Revelation, this number is symbolic. 1,600 would be 40 times 40 or possibly 4 times 4 times 10, but either way, it represents the completeness of this slaughter of sinners who hate God and oppose His people. See, none of the wicked will escape God's wrath when His judgment comes. So what do we learn from this coming harvest at the end of the age? that Christ will purify God's kingdom when His judgment comes. Christ will purify God's kingdom when His judgment comes. Let us then hear God's Word when it says to us in Galatians 6, verse 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. So I ask each of you, what kind of fruit are you sowing in your lives? What kind of fruit are you sowing? Is it the grapes of wrath in your selfishness of sin? Because listen, you reap what you sow. And there are eternal consequences to how we live our lives in this world. Those then that practice these works of the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
but you'll be judged under God's righteous wrath and thrown into the everlasting fire of hell. But this morning, this morning there is good news because the harvest is not yet fully ripe. And now is the day of salvation. So hear the words then from Jesus in Luke chapter 22, verse 42, when he is looking to the cross and is praying in the garden before his death on the cross, when he says to to God, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me, this cup of wrath. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Do you see then? That on the cross, Christ obeyed the Father's will to drink the fullness of this cup of God's wrath for us. When he was crucified on the cross and shed his blood in death under God's judgment for us in our place. So this cup of his wine of judgment is lovingly poured out upon Christ in the place of sinners for all of those who look to Christ who come to Christ who believe in Christ by turning away from your sins and repentance And by trusting in Christ and what he has done for you on the cross, we will all either face this coming judgment of wrath or we'll be saved from this wrath by the Son of Man who takes this wrath upon himself for us. So believe in Christ and be saved. See, you too can be gathered with the good grain by turning from your sins and trusting in Christ. So listen, seating machines and combines and other technological advances may have changed farming and made it easier. But may we not let such modern conveniences and worldly progress keep us from recognizing that you reap what you sow. Because it's only by uniting to Christ in faith that we will produce lasting fruit we will have the fruit of the Spirit, which are the works that will follow us into our eternal home at God's judgment, when we will receive our reward and enter into the joy of God's presence forever. Oh, may all of us, this coming day of judgment, be reaped by Christ as righteous saints, May none of us continue in our sin 
we will be reaped as unrighteous sinners under the wrath of God. Again, believe in Christ and be saved. And may all of those of us who, who, who believe in Christ May we then continue in our faith in Christ even as we wait for this coming harvest where we will be with Christ and receive our inheritance in Christ at the end of this age. So let us pray. Oh, Father, Your word is clear. There is a harvest of your judgment coming. May we all not only anticipate then this coming judgment, but look to Christ as our gracious reaper who will collect all of the good grain of souls that are saved by His grace and collect them so that we will come into the very home in which we can enjoy Your presence forever. Father, we pray then that we will always keep this future before us. So that as we struggle and suffer in this life, we will know where our future eternity with you lies. And we pray then in the name of our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen.